Hey, Raw, what's happening? Hey, Mom. It's a Monday. We're recording on a Monday night. Had a pretty good day. I did, too. I had a good day. Glad it stopped raining. Oh, boy. you not What? I was not ready for it. Made me sleepy, lazy, and hungry. I feel you. Last episode, we talked a little bit about um, job hunting and some of our experiences on the clock. Today's episode will be a little different because we're going to be talking about black history. Yes. Good information. I'm Angela, the mom. I'm Roger, the daughter. And this This is is Talking Brown Brown Sugar. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as a rolling sea. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun. Let us march on till victory is won. That was Lift Every Voice and Sing, the National Black Anthem by James Weldon Johnson and J. Rosamond Johnson. We only sung the first verse, but you should Google it if you don't know it. Learn the lyrics. Um, Shout out to Miss Bryant, my fifth grade teacher. Rest in peace. She taught us in that class, in our class, that song. Today... We're in the Sugar Bowl, where we share some random thoughts. What you got, Mom? This is a little crazy and a little off the Richter scale, but have you ever been driving in a car and you're always wondering what a person might do when you think that you're not looking at the driver or the passenger? Well, me and some friends were going out one night, and I pulled up beside a car. It was a white gentleman. Just want to throw that out there. And I was telling my friend who was sitting beside me, I said, I bet you he'd do something crazy. So he stuck his fingers up in his nose because we was at a red light. <clears throat> he was digging for a long time. He pulled out a big beluga. I said, he can read that. She said, no, nah, he's not going to do it. He turned around and looked at us and stuck it in his mouth. The light turned green, and I was still sitting there wanting to throw up. Nasty butt. That is disgusting. <laughs> It was disgusting. I, I would not believe it. I've seen people do that. Be at the light and do some really ridiculous stuff and look over at you like, yeah, I did it. And I'm like, only in America. I'm pretty sure that happens in everywhere because, you know, people think, you know, you're in your car. It's my little private bubble, even though, you know, you're in a glass house. And um, people, I've seen people eat, do their makeup. I don't think I've ever seen anybody um, dig up their nose. That would be, that would be, yeah. I've seen people do stuff too. Like pull a wedge out and press the button on the elevator. And look at you like there's nothing happening. And I'd be like, oh my gosh. Nasty. But. I know that's what we were talking about last time when people use bathroom and you can hear they didn't wash their hands. Just nasty. But nasty. 
It's just the world is just sassy. And people think it's just normal. They some people just digging themselves and stuff and hand you stuff like you wanna use my phone? I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh. Nasty butt. That's the word of the day. This episode has been brought to you by the word nasty butt. Nasty butt. Well, you don't wash your hands and use hand <laughs> sanitizer. Um my random thoughts are a little um serious. Um so this my I'm sure I'm not the only person that feels this way, but I am um too young or just do not want to be anyone's stepmom. Um I have a niece and a nephew and I am a okay with that. I'm uh happy with being auntie and I don't need to be or want to be anybody's stepmom. Um also related, my second um random thought. Um as I get older, you know, duality of things, I um have also come to know that having kids does not make me a woman. Um, shout out to Tracy Ellis Ross, the way she lived her life, and Janelle Monet, you know, with her album Dirty Computer. And a lot of different songs there, just exploring, exploring in different ways, you know, people or women are women. Um, but yeah, you have to have kids to be a woman. Um, on a more show. We are not doing any sugar cubes today, known as AKA the news. Yes, today, in honor of Black History Month, um, we wanted to focus a little bit more on um, some black history facts that kind of surprised us or that we have discovered that we uh, weren't necessarily taught in school, but, you know, we heard it from um, someone in our family through their experience or just something we found in our own research. Yes, mine is starting off and talking about private schools, which in Washington, D.C., a little area in Georgetown, 1789 of the 18th century for English and grammar. My subject is talking about the high education and segregation of academics. What started it? Different things change with policy. Different things happen with slave masters. Just like when Howard University was done, it was for mulatto children. And then they started making private schools. Um, why did they make private schools? What do you mean? Well, they was making private schools when they had the riches or other senators having children with the slave help. They didn't want to sell some of the children because they found out some of the children were smart. So they started making other schools silently. Oh, so private schools were like a place where they put all their um, offspring that they had with uh, slaves. Correct. And so... What changed uh, uh, administration policies became a movement because, you know, black children wanted to go from other states. So that's when they decided to make one in Georgetown. And so they started with teaching them English grammar, trying to, like, sugarcoat it for what they were really trying to do. Hmm. That's interesting and disgusting at the same time. Yeah, there's a whole lot of hidden colors and facts they didn't tell us about. 
So, moving on with that. Richard Humphrey. He's best known for Higher Learning for Blacks. He graduated from the Lincoln University. What's so interesting about this young man? He was for colored youth, mostly men at that time, because they didn't want women to vote. They didn't want us to do much of nothing. But he strived real hard. He met another guy named James uh, Meredith. He was a civil rights activist. He became the first African-American to attend the University of Mississippi in 1962. These two men um, collided together for colored rights to go to higher education for learning and to better themselves and for women's rights. It took him a while to do this, and so many things had to be written. So if you get your time, look it up and read about these two interesting gentlemen. Yeah. And going on, this is one of my favorites, um, Ralph Ellison. He was um, a grandchild of a former slave. His best-known book, Invisible Man. Um, his One of his quotes where he would say is simple. I'm invisible, understood simply, because people cannot see me. This is one of his quotes. He also wrote um, different exploiting of color factors of how not to be ashamed of your color or not don't be ashamed of yourself and just speaking on his grandparents from stories they have told him. And that's how I've learned stories from my grandfather when they used to talk about tar baby and your your color. Be proud of whoever you are. Not being ashamed. And going on to another wonderful woman. Sarah Breedlove, better known as Madam C.J. Walker. She was a millionaire. She opened up her own school in 1908, was Lillian College. She was a businesswoman, an entrepreneur. And talking about this young lady, well, comes dealing with my mom. She owned her own beauty salon in Durham on Enterprise, was May's beauty salon. Many times I would hear her talking about how it was hard for young ladies to keep their hair fixed besides perms, and they would use paper bags to roll their hair up in or making wire, putting clothes on it so it would be soft and coming up with the Shirley Temple curls besides Marcel curls when they had those clickety-click um, Marcel curlers they would use on hot flames and plus using the straightened comb. And Madam C.J. Walker came up with some beautiful hairstyles even talking about what? Finger waves. Yeah, I remember um, everybody talking about Madam C.J. Walker. I didn't know her name was um, not Madam C.J. Walker. Yes, and it's a lot of things that we need to discover and explore in our lives past the classroom and pass on to our loved ones, little ones, so they'll know it's a lot of history out here. I know. I think um, it's good if you can talk to the older people in your family who are still around. Um, if it's not too too traumatic for them to talk about, because it might. I know it might be hard for people to talk about what they experienced. They may still have trauma um, rooted in that. But um, whatever you can get from older people, I think you should talk to them. You know, whether it be your neighbor, just checking on them, how they're doing. You never know what you could learn. 
And sometimes if you get time, look up some of your own history. Um, go like to tax places and find out like little information from your loved ones, birth certificates, death certificates. Find out how these people had education, their own jobs, or if they was an entrepreneur. You'd be surprised what you might find. Mm-hmm. Like, um, 25% of cowboys were black. Um, I know a lot of the cowboy, you know, you got the stereotypical cowboy and Indians, but uh, we never learned about the black people who were cowboys. Um, I'm now, like, curious as well to see how many um, cow women, cow cow women, <laughs> cow girls, or cow... Um, yeah, cowgirls there were um, that were black as well, because um, I know how different the gender roles were back then. But um, one of the most famous, or one of the most famous um, black cowboys was Bass Reeves. Um, he was born a slave, but he escaped after the Civil War. And so he lived in uh, a territory that was then um, belonging to the First Peoples or Native Americans. Um, and he became a U.S. deputy marshal. So in the 1990, uh, I mean, in the 19th century, the West drew many slaves because they were able to um, serve as like bounty cattle cattlemen, and you know do those different kind of physical labor jobs while being free, you know, and being able to pay their own way, support themselves without you know being somebody's slave. And that is so true. Uh, if you look at it. Some of the black cowboys, even though they were in the Civil War, a lot of them were herdsmen before they, you know, became in the forces of the army. And there was a lot of women who dressed as men to get away and to be a free slave as being a cowgirl. But people thought they, they thought they was um, a man. Yeah, um, the things our ancestors had to do to survive. Um, I learned this in college when I was taking African-American literature. Um, Phyllis Wheatley was the first African-American poet to publish a book. Um, She was a slave, sold as a young girl to the Wheatley family. Um, They uh, wanted her to be educated because they um, saw her as, you know, an extension of them. Um, That's a whole other bag of worms. But um, because of them wanting her to be educated and represent them well, you know, when they brought her places against her will. Um, But she was able to learn and read to how to read and write in English by the age of nine. Um, So she picked up that. Um, She also was familiar with Latin, Greek and the Bible. Um, She went on to write her first poem when she was 13 and she was inspired by some of the works of some English poets. Um, On the Death of the Reverend Mr. George Whitfield was published as um, broadside in cities such as Boston, New York, Philadelphia, and even London. And that's where she gained a lot of her national acclaim. And then she, you know, continued writing, um, even making some money um, and continued to write until she had enough poems to make a book. <clears throat> and that's how she became the first African-American um, poet to publish a book. And that's funny, too. A lot of them had to go to Paris, France, just to get noticed and then come back to America in a later age. 
It's something how we traveled and learned different languages along the way. We're so talented. I know a great example of that is um, Eartha Kitt when she was being uh, prosecuted for her remarks made at um, some kind of dinner against uh, somebody's wife. Um, but she's you know being persecuted or whatever. I remember she left the country and she went somewhere in Europe to um, continue her singing career. So true. Just like Josephine Baker, a lot of ladies. Uh, it was just amazing how a, a lot of the women, some of the gentlemen, had to always travel to keep their talents. And people were not ready for their talents or change their talents so they can make money and be the stars that they are. Yeah, that's the same way we still today will flock. As people of color, I know it's we seek places where we're accepted and not just tolerated because, you know, like we were saying before, um, last episode, um, I'd rather be in a place where I'm accepted and not just tolerated. Um, but in line with like thinking about music and art, um, Betty Boop was based off of Esther Jones. She was a black jazz singer from Harlem known as Baby Esther because of her baby style of singing with the boop, 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 and the high-pitched voices. Um, she performed regularly in cotton clubs during the 1920s. So she was like a flapper style singer. Um, an example of that would be in the color purple. Was what was the lady's name who um, met Whoopi Goldberg's character yeah. in the Sheila Gavery. Um, like just she embodied that um, look. Well, Sugar Avery, you know, that look was similar um, back in the 1920s. Um, another artist by the name of Helen Kane also adopted the um, baby style of singing. But what was different um, about Helen Kane was that she, after she adopted Baby Esther style, in between those two now singing the same, you know, baby style, um, the person, the man who created the Betty Boop cartoon um, based it off of baby Esther, but Helen Kane was the actual person who tried to sue him unsuccessfully for, you know, like copyright infringement and trademark and stuff. She lost that. Um, But the sad thing is that baby Esther, um, her career didn't take off as much as Helen Kane's or even, you know, Betty Boop's notoriety. Um, So she kind of remained in obscurity, but, I think it's good to know that the iconic cartoon character Betty Boop was based off of um, Esther Jones. And if you look her up and you see pictures of her, you'll see the resemblance. Um, Moving on, this is a little more of a recent um, black history fact. Lisa Perez Jackson made history by becoming the first African-American to direct the um, EPA or the Environmental Protection Agency. After leaving the EPA as a staff-level engineer, she joined the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection in 2002 as the assistant commissioner. Um, Jackson then gained the top post in 2006. In 2008, she was named former New Jersey governor, um, John Gorzini's um, chief of staff, but she didn't work there long because President Obama, you know him, um, first black president, 2012, tapped her to be um, that was 2008. Let me get my facts right. Um, yes. Um, tapped her to be the head of the EPA. And I think this is an important, um, black history fact to know because of, 
um, also the injustices that have been done on black people, black communities, um, with, you know, different things where they used to fly over black communities, um, with different diseases and chemicals, um, as well as a lot of black um, neighborhoods being placed near, um, high pollution areas and factories and things because, you know, it's a low-income neighborhood. It's where black people live. It wasn't uh, a concern. So thinking about environmental justice and the quality of life of black people, I think that's important to note. It's something to research as well. Yes, um, just the thought of that, there's been a lot of land and, uh, I guess, low-income houses. Even sometimes when we look today... As we speak, there's going to be a low-income housing area built where a war, um, chemicals, and bombs were made here in Durham. So check it out. Look it up. Crazy. Um, and then one of my last facts. Um, I think this was important, too. I learned this while in college, just reading and researching. Um, when we think about suffragettes, they're usually white women. Seems to be Anthony, all of them, but also how they were like, you know, I'd die before. I don't remember the exact quote, so I'm not gonna try to um, say this is exactly what Su- Susan B. Anthony said, or even if she said it. But the quote was um, something along the lines of not um, not putting in the work for Black people to vote. Like I'd rather die than you know fight for the right to vote for Black people have the right to vote. Um, so then we have people like Ida B. Wells, who um, is better known as Ida. She was Ida Bell Wells, but known as Ida B. Wells, was the first African-American journalist, abolitionist, and feminist who led an anti-lynching crusade in the United States in the 1890s. Um, and so with all of her work, she went on to found um, and become integral in some groups for African-American justice, such as the National Association of Colored Women. And she was also one of the founding members of the NAACP, um, even though in its um, early stages, its infancy, she cut ties because she felt the group didn't um, have as many action-based um, plans or platforms. And we need more platforms. Um, I see like now things are falling to the wayside, but we are being heard. But we just need to be more vocal. We just need more support. Yeah, I think um, when you can, if you see um, people who are getting involved, taking action, um, do what you can to get involved if you can. You know, if it's not going to cost you your job. Because I know for a lot of people, black people too, specifically, if you can't, you know, get away from your job, you risk losing your job if you go protest or you get caught protesting, you could risk losing your job. And then it's already hard enough for us. So if you can do that, um, like with Reverend Barber and the NAACP, they're doing a lot of work. Um, also, they're just like local people who are trying to make change in like different um, Black Lives Matter groups. Um just like doing your research to see where you can get involved and that um includes being involved in your local governments, city and state. Um and just using your voice and getting involved with your friends who are um activists as well. If you can help support them, 
by sharing their messages and things like that. We're going to move into the main discussion, um, talking about our relationship with black history, researching it, um, and things like that. Just three questions. First, growing up, how were you first introduced to black history? How was I? You really want to know? My grandparents, my mother, and my father, and some aunts, a couple uncles. We would have these different conversations of why, or if I ask questions. From traveling, looking at things, wondering why we were different shades, or if you go to somebody else's house and you you hear a story from their loved ones and you say, "Did this really happen?" Nobody never ate that. Or where did chitlins come from again? Who had lie soap? Why is it a lie? Um, growing up for me, I was first introduced to Black History by you. Um. I remember you just telling us, you know, going to school, you're black, you're beautiful, love yourself, you love your skin, but also you telling us straight up some of the, um, I would say more traumatizing, not, yeah, they kind of traumatizing, um, stories about like real black history stories that you heard growing up, um, cause grandma was born November 14, 1918. So we know she's seen some stuff, but she also told you stories that were passed on to her. So it was just like coming from people who lived these experiences. I think that's what always got me. Um, the second question, what's been your experience as you have learned about back history? I kind of went into that a little bit. Mm, there's so much experience in that. I'm going to try to keep it kind of clean. But one, like you said, you know. Tell listen, how it is. You got to keep it clean. Listen, like from my great-grandma, how lynchings were real. Castration was real. Separation from mother to father. And seeing your family destroyed, burnt to a crisp. Or selling body parts. I didn't want to believe this. But as I got older, I used to buy books. And I would see those pictures of people's skin just whipped to smithereens. It was hard, but as I grew up living in New York, I went to a Catholic school, and it was a difference. And I told my mother when this lady, one of the nuns whipped me in my hand, I told my mom, she took me out when I went to public school. But you still could see the difference of how teachers or somebody of authoritative, educative level would treat black kids. If you couldn't read and comprehend quick, you you on a totem pole. You're you going to get this pass by they're gonna treat you bad even now you know i see so much but the experience i had to pass on to my kids because i want to let them know in a home you're safe but once you escape and get outside this door people don't care what you are where you come from or your education i kept it real with my kids you did um and it was evident um like your innocence is taken um i feel like black kids especially our um our younger kids and people with more melanin are um you're robbed of your innocence a lot sooner than other kids um you're always aged up sexualized more sooner um why do we have so many missing black people 
um, you always see those messages on Facebook and things like that. But um, growing up, you did tell us, you know, one of the first things people are going to see, your brown skin. And that has been true to this day. I don't care how um, somebody's intention was or wasn't. The things that you hear slip out of people's mouths, whether it be a coworker, a classmate, somebody you considered a friend. Um, it's like them, especially white people, being allowed to be ignorant. Um, and then having to, as a black person, just deal with literally the weight of the world, um, it's stressful. Um, and I just know, I just know as a kid being aware of a lot of this stuff early on and then looking around at my peers, you know, like, y'all see this? Do you see this? And then, um, you know, that we laugh about it as black people, we, we have so many coping mechanisms as black people one of that being laughter um and cracking jokes hence black twitter um you know that look across the room you give somebody when you both peep something racist happening or something you know crazy you don't have to say anything but we you know you get that look or when you see another black person on the street you're supposed to give a nod um and that can go either way as well um but yeah just um, learning black, about black history, the gory details, and then being told to forget, get over it. Um, and you have people like Trump who are elected and people tell you to get over it. It's just an election or, you know, stuff like that. Um, it's traumatizing to live with body camera videos being posted every day, you know, hashtags with these with people's names and finding out the details and what's still happening to us and it not being like a national like it's a national emergency for our community but it's not seen as an issue in the grand scheme the bigger picture in society um and just to know that racism isn't going to end in my time was something i had to accept and it took a um took a while for me to accept but i feel like um college is where um I accepted it because it was just like going through a lot of stress and then realizing I was carrying this weight because I felt like you know I have to do this I have to make a change and not knowing where to start not knowing how to do it um that really burnt me out um and I'm still recovering from that now um learning how to not carry the weight of the world on my shoulders I'm glad you're not carrying that weight. I know just uh, recapping on something I thought of, too. Uh, when I had my kids when they were younger, I tried to place them in multicultural-type schools or even private daycares. I didn't have anything against my people. But I wanted to show them that we all can get along. But the funny thing about that, put them in certain daycares and camps, some of the parents would even look at you like, well, how can you afford this daycare? And I would look at them, and you know how you just give them that, you say, you just give them that look like, really? You you don't want to play with me like that. You see the kids getting along. These are little two-year-olds, three-year-olds, eight-year-olds. And I would watch my kids play with these kids. And then the families or the parent will come in, and they'd be like all appalled, like, oh, is this really happening? Next week, hey, Jenny's not there no more. We all know why Jenny's not there no more. And it's sad to say, even in the 2000s at the time, you would see this happening. I'm like, really? And he, 
And they be telling we can get along. Y'all don't want to get along. Y'all just want to pass us along. Yeah. Um, yeah, I still make. I still try not to carry the weight of the world. And um, just thinking about how, I don't know if it's like, I feel like it's hereditary, but it's been passed down to us to be open, to be loving, to be welcoming. And like as a black community we are so welcoming we let people in you know we invite people to the cookout uh come on in the room you know and then you have things like with you know the mass shooting with people at dylan roof into the church and he shoots up the church different things like that and we're still we don't hold grudges as much we just have to keep pushing on keep pushing on keep pushing on um it's 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 I'm just tired. And I know a lot of black people are. Um, And so it's important, I think, that we um, continue to have these conversations, still learn about black history and what we can learn, but also take care of ourselves and not judge each other for how we cope. As long as, you know... We can find. I think if we talk more openly about healthier ways to cope, mm-hmm. um, we would be better off as a community. You know, mind your business, but um, also in that way of just not judging people for getting tattoos, buying shoes and stuff. You know, why are you buying shoes and you broke or this that? Don't don't judge people for what they do to make them feel happy in that moment. Um, because people could easily kill themselves, go out and kill somebody, kill their kid. But, you know, they're choosing other ways to cope. Whether it be going to the movies, um, buying a birthday cake they can't afford. There are things and sacrifices we have to make to get to tomorrow. So, um, just when you can, if you can, try to be a positive light in somebody, in somebody's day, try to make somebody's day. I try to do that now. Um, I remember like meeting random people who say you are so pretty, you have a nice smile, or you so nice, and so, like returning people's compliments or just giving out compliments, and it makes you feel good um, when you're um, able to do that. Make somebody's day. You know what? That's a good thing. You made my day today too. Thank you for the coffee. You're welcome. And another thing, um, we have 28 days. I know it's February. We got to show the love. And remember, everybody has a history. Yeah, um, we can celebrate black history every day because we are still making black history. We are some of the firsts to do a lot of things um, all the time. So celebrate when you can. Um, We did have a third question, so we said three questions. Um, The last question is, how do you feel about Black History Month? Like, how do you think it's been in 2019? Sometimes, like that tea bag, you keep putting in that water, and it don't taste like tea no more. But we are striving so hard to bring things to attention and to let our people know that we're still here. We're still fighting for truth. We got to keep our heads up. We can't sink. We can't get grounded and just be suppressed for what Trump is doing. Forget the wall. We're going to build our own wall with faith. I don't think we should build any walls. We don't need any walls. 
I know what you mean. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, I think with the age of technology, especially the internet, so many things can be shared and you can rapidly consume information faster than I think we have evolved to cope with. So um, the things that we've been alerted to has made this month seem crazy crappy. Um, like it's the age of the blackface. These pictures existed long before we knew about them, but the way we're finding out about them, and I feel like it's like literally every day we're finding out about some representative who, um, did blackface, like, you know, the people in Virginia, um, the lady from Vogue who, you know, had a slavery themed birthday party and used black people as props. Um... But then you have so many different things we can celebrate, um, like Jay-Z and um, his party, Mm -hmm. where they were celebrating how all the black men have made, you know, those different strides and have achieved so much in their lives um, through their celebrity and things like that. LeBron James um, and building his school for students. Um, but also, you know, you have Rihanna with her makeup. Yeah. Um, the young lady who just beat the, was it 200? Mm Um, her, that, that, I mean, she made the, the, she's the fastest person in the world. Um, was it 22, 200, 200 meters in 22 seconds? That's the fastest person in the world. Black girl, beautiful black girl. Um, had her nails done. I I just love the image of that. Serena Williams and all her accomplishments, you know, carrying a baby and whooping people. Just knocking it down. Knocking it down. There's so many things for us to celebrate. So, um, I think it's real intentional and important that I, um, I try to look for things that are good and can celebrate in the midst of all the negative that um happens it's okay to turn off your um twitter instagram facebook social media whatever put your phone down for a day read a book watch something funny um all that take care of yourself that's like that, yeah listen to talk brown sugar celebrate with us um there are plenty of ways you can um boost your spirits we gonna get through this. Yeah, think of some of your old good recipes. Cook a good meal. Think of some of the things and laugh and tell your kids history while you're cooking a good cake or who made the barbecue sauce. You know, why is cabbage so good? Don't forget that cornbread. Yes, we can make a meal out of anything because of what we learned. I think my favorite meme was... um. It was saying, I don't remember what dish it was. They were saying, I um, like some of my ancestors are telling me how much and what spices to put in the dish. But it's like, yeah, some of the stuff is hereditary. There are so many good things we have to celebrate in the midst of all the stuff we've been through and continue to go through. Mm-hmm. But we here, we live. I'm Angela the mom. I'm Raja the daughter, and this has been. Talking brown brown sugar. sugar. Happy Black History Month. Power to the people.